Amen. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Second Corinthians chapter 12. We got three more weeks in Second Corinthians. And then the uh, Tuesday after Labor Day, September the 3rd, we start a new study in the Gospel of John that I'm looking forward to. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This passage tonight about Paul's thorn in the flesh, we could go so many different directions with this. But as I have meditated on this and studied it and just asked for God's leading, I, I felt like the Lord really was leading me to primarily one thing. And that was that this passage is about us learning how to be an overcomer in our life. Learning how to be an overcomer, a conqueror. Let's be reminded, in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, Jesus is talking to the seven churches, which I think are representative of the body of Christ on earth today. And in every one of those messages to the people of the church, Jesus says, to the one who overcomes, this will be your reward. To the one who conquers, this will be the reward. And so in every instance, he is holding out the prospect of reward for those who are able to be the overcomers, the conquerors. In the Gospel of John, Jesus told his followers, he says, these things I have told you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble and suffering, but take courage. I have overcome, I have conquered the world. Later on in the letter of 1 John, John writes, and this is the conquering power that overcomes the world. Our faith. Our faith. I, I think what this passage more than anything is teaching us is that most of the time, God's purpose is not to remove whatever is in front of us. To take it away. Whether it be a thorn in the flesh, whether it be some obstacle or challenge that we're facing in life, I believe most of the time God wants to show us that whatever it is, with His presence and power, we can overcome, we can conquer anything. And that's what He wanted to teach Paul, so in turn, Paul could teach others. Before we get there, though, tonight, let's be reminded that the reason why Paul was boasting as he was was because he had come to a point where he felt it was necessary to contrast his ministry with the ministry of the false teachers who had infiltrated Corinth, had turned them uh, away from him, and had turned to these false teachers who were just abusive and divisive and aloof. And Paul unmasked them, says they're false apostles. And just as Satan masquerades as an angel of light, his servants can masquerade as ministers of righteousness. And so Paul has just 
kept this up because their spiritual well-being, the Corinthians, is at stake here. And that's why Paul is doing what he's doing. So when we come to chapter 12, and Paul begins to talk about his experience of being caught up to the third heaven and being in the presence of God, he does so reluctantly again, not because he's trying to promote himself and and make himself somehow look better than anyone else. He's doing it because these false teachers have come into Corinth and they basically have said, you need to listen to us and we're legit because we've had all these experiences and we've had all these revelations and we've had all these, you know, uh, appearances and, and all that, visions. And Paul's saying, okay, let's, let's talk about that. And let's see that in my experience, when God gave me a privilege such as he did 14 years ago, that experience didn't leave me more prideful, it left me more humble. In fact, my God went to great lengths to prevent me from getting prideful about it. Where these false teachers were bragging about their visions and revelations and whatever, and it was from a position of pride. And so once again, Paul is simply using his own Christian experience and experience and encounters with God to show a great contrast between the way he dealt with things and the way they're dealing with things and what God did through his experience and evidently what God was not working in the experiences of these false teachers. Obviously, God wasn't in their experiences. So here's what Paul says, chapter 12, verse 1. He says it is necessary to go on boasting. Again, not because he wants to, but because of the spiritual well-being of the Corinthians. Though it is not profitable, and what he means by that is, this isn't accomplishing the furtherance of the gospel. This isn't accomplishing, if you will, what I know God wants me to do, but I've got to lay that aside for a little bit, and I've got to deal with this, and then I'm going to be able to move on to what I know God has ultimately called me to. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I knew a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows was caught up to the third heaven. In typical rabbinical style here, Paul doesn't mention his name, but Paul is talking about himself. He's giving a personal testimony here. By the way, I want to point this out. When Paul says, I knew a man in Christ... I wanted to stop there tonight because that was Paul's favorite designation of being a Christian. In Christ. Paul loved that idea. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is in Christ. Which goes back to the fact that if I'm in Christ, then everything that Christ is, I have through Him. That's why Jesus could say to His followers... I've said these things to you so that in me you will have peace. In the world you will have trouble and suffering, but take courage. I've overcome the world. I've conquered the world. And if I've overcome the world and conquered the world, that means you can overcome and conquer the world too because you're in me, in Christ. Never forget, Christian, you are in Christ. You don't just have Christ, which is great. You literally are in 
Christ. You have been placed into Christ. Baptized into his body through the Holy Spirit. Another thing I wanted to point out in verse 2 is the mystery of what happened. You know, a lot of times we, we always want to be able to explain everything and have an answer for everything. And Paul says, you know what happened to me? I, I can't even tell you whether I was in the body or not. I don't know. Too often we try to remove the mystery that is God. And God is still mysterious. There's still things beyond that we can't wrap our minds around either yet or there's, there's a reason why God you know, hasn't necessarily uh, made that particularly clear and we need to be okay with it. We're not always going to have an answer and an explanation for everything. God is bigger than all of our human explanations and answers. And there's things that's going to happen to us that we can't explain and not have all the details and answers for. And Paul was no different. He says, this happened to me. I was caught up to the third heaven, but I don't really know whether I was in the body or not. I don't know. It's okay not to know everything when it comes to our experiences in the spiritual world. And he says, I was caught up to the third heaven. The third heaven is a designation in the Bible for where God dwells, the highest of heights. The first heaven is obviously where the birds fly, where the planes travel. The second heaven is where the stars and the planets are. And the third heaven is the abode of God. It is the highest of heights. And he says in verse 3, I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, again, I do not know, God knows, was caught up. By the way, the words caught up in verse 4 and the words caught up in verse 2 are the same words that's used in 1 Thessalonians to describe the rapture. To be seized by a greater power. That's exactly what the word means. In other words, God was basically like, Paul, boom, you're coming. You don't have a choice. (laughs) Here, I'm bringing you up. When Paul says about the rapture, he says, the trumpet's going to sound, the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We will be seized by a greater power and caught up. And he says, I was caught up, verse 4, into paradise. This word pictures a perfect and pleasing garden. Same word that Jesus used when he told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Very interestingly, when the Greeks translated the Old Testament, what's called the Septuagint, they used this word paradise for the Garden of Eden. And I believe, personally, That when we go to heaven, that heaven is a restoration of, it's what God intended for the Garden of Eden to be before sin entered. It's going to be this beautiful, pleasing, perfect garden paradise. With brownie trees. No, I'm sorry. We won't go there. Sorry. And so he was caught up to paradise and he heard things too sacred to put into words. 
He could not articulate. He could not express what he was experiencing. Again, it's okay. And then I believe he says that God actually even stepped in and didn't want him to share for whatever reason. When he says things that a person is not even permitted to speak, literally in the Greek, not lawful to talk about. At that point, God did not want Paul to come back and share specific details about what he experienced while he was there. Because that wasn't the purpose of it. God had his purposes for it, but it wasn't to share all the details about what that paradise was like and everything that Paul experienced while he was there. On behalf of such an individual, verse 5, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast. Except about my weaknesses. Going back again to his fragileness, frailty, his human limitations. We talked about that last week. And he's going to talk about it more. Because again, remember the contrast here is between these false teachers who said, we are strong. Yeah, they were strong. They were so strong, they were abusing the Corinthians. They were pushing people around. Instead of serving others, they were always wanting to be served. Yeah, they were so strong that... There was no humility at all there, and it was all about them. And Paul is saying, when God is in our lives, and when we truly have an encounter with the living God, it will bring a humility into our life, and there will be a desire to serve and to minister, not to be lifted up in pride and and to be all about ourselves. Totally different. It will produce selflessness, not selfishness, in our life. In fact, Paul goes on to say, For even if I wish to boast, verse 6, I will not be a fool. For I would be telling the truth, but I refrain from this, so that no one may regard me beyond what he sees in me or what he hears from me. In other words, I don't want me sharing this experience to have you now put me on some pedestal that I don't belong on. You've heard me. You've seen me. You know what I am. You know my struggles. I'm a weak man. Without Christ, I am nothing. And so don't, don't, you know, somehow start putting me where I don't belong. But what happened to me is true, Paul says. And then he goes on to say, verse 7, even because of the extraordinary character of the revelations... Therefore, so that I would not become arrogant, haughty, prideful, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to trouble me so that I would not become arrogant. We're going to stop here. There's a lot here. First thing I want us to notice is this. I want us to notice the extent to which God will go to keep us from getting prideful. See, from God's perspective, it's more important to keep pride out of our life than to keep us physically okay. In other words, from God's perspective, it was more important for Paul spiritually to have this physical whatever it was so that he had to be conscious of it at all times and dependent on the Lord to just get through life. That was better than the other. 
which was no thorn. Paul gets haughty and prideful and his spiritual life is in the tank. See, here again, this passage as well as others teaches us a very big principle. God always cares more about the spiritual than the physical. It's not that God doesn't care about us physically. But if God can work in our lives to where we spiritually benefit, even though we physically may be going through something, then God will always choose the spiritual benefit over the physical. I mean, think of the whole book of Job. The whole book of Job is about God allowing Satan to sort of afflict Job, but it was for Job's spiritual benefit. And we've got to get past this mentality that if I'm always living for God and doing the right thing, then I won't be sick or ailing or, or struggling physically because it may be that, that I'm being allowed somehow to struggle physically so that spiritually I'm thriving. And that's exactly what was going on with Paul. In fact, let's slow down and, and look at this carefully because I don't want us to miss what Paul says. So he says, so that I would not become arrogant. Well, who thought that? God. God said, now this was a great privilege, Paul, to to do this, but as God, I know that this has great potential to cause pride in you. So, so that you won't become prideful. It's not that Paul was, but so that this will prevent you from being prideful. Here's what's going to happen. A thorn in the flesh. Literally in the Greek, it is an ever-present, sharp stake. It's not a splinter. It's not a thorn. In the Greek, it's a sharp stake that is ever-present. So to me, that means this wasn't just some minor little ailment. This was something that basically hit Paul every day of his life and that he could never escape from. It was just there. And he always had to deal with it. And he always had to learn to depend upon the Lord to overcome it. In doing it, he was going to be spiritually better off. But it wasn't easy. Because it was a thorn in the flesh. And we also learn from Paul that in a sense it was even a messenger of Satan. Meaning, once again, That our God is so great, so wise, so powerful, that He even can use Satan for His purposes. See, Satan, God, just like He did with Job, will allow Satan certain parameters and certain leeway, but it's always for our benefit and ultimate blessing and spiritual growth and maturity. So though Satan thinks, oh good, I get, to, I get it Job. I get to do this to Job and he's going to curse God and die. That ultimately Job grew through this and was better off in the long run. And the same thing was happening to Paul. Because Satan is just looking for a way to get at us. And Satan loves to attack us physically. 
Because he knows that if our faith is not growing and strong, we will start to turn against God and we can get very bitter by not receiving God's grace when we go through physical trials. And we can start to turn on God and, and it can separate us from God. So Satan is more than willing to just be there and be ready to just sort of pounce if he's given permission. But God knows that what Satan means for evil, as Joseph even said, God means for good. And where Satan looks like he's ruling, God always overrules. And so this is a messenger of Satan. And it just reminds us that, again, one of the questions I, I, I get a lot is, you know, wh why does God even keep Satan around? Why doesn't he lock him up in a bottomless pit? And why didn't he just do that millennia ago and just keep him there? Why does he allow Satan to roam around like a roaring lion? Because Satan ultimately is accomplishing the purposes of God. Satan is not frustrating God at all. Satan is playing right into the plan and purposes of God. God's not going to be thwarted by evil people and by Satan and demonic beings. God wins and God rules and God is in control. And God is so great and so wise and so powerful that He can take all of those that are in opposition to Him and hostile to His plan and purpose and He can turn it around and bring good out of it. And so Paul says, even though this was a messenger of Satan, even though this was a thorn in the flesh, and by the way, it troubled me. I love this. This is a very picturesque word in the Greek language. It literally means to strike or hit in the face. In a sense, what Paul's saying is, every day I woke up, I felt like I got punched in the face. Now again, I don't want to speculate. Many people have as to what this thorn in the flesh was. I don't want to do that. But I think we get the idea that it wasn't just some minor little ailment. It was a thorn. It was an ever-present stake. And it troubled him. It literally beat him and hit him in the face every day of his life. So that I would not become arrogant, verse 7. Now, Paul's no different than us, which makes me feel good. Because if I was in Paul's place, I would have done the same thing Paul did. I asked the Lord to take it away. And when he says, I asked, the word in the Greek means to beg, to beseech. In other words, it wasn't just, you know, Lord, if you don't have anything better to do. No, it was, Lord, please, please take this away. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to have to keep Dealing with this every day of my life. And the Bible says he asked the Lord three times about this. By the way, I think it's important that he even included the word Lord there, L-O-R-D. Because that word means the one who decides. <laughs> he decides, not us. 
And we let him decide out of our reverence and respect for him. If we truly believe he's the Lord, then that means we believe he knows best and therefore he decides, not me. And that's why the Bible encourages us, as Peter did, to set Christ apart as Lord in our hearts. So that we live our lives saying, God, not my will, but yours. You decide. You know what's best for me. I don't. I don't want to call the shots anymore. I don't want to be Lord of my life. I don't want anybody else to be Lord of my life. I want you to be Lord. I want you to decide. I trust you. I know that you ultimately have my best interest at heart. You are the Lord. And when we acknowledge God as Lord, that's what we're doing in our lives every day. The choices and decisions, in a sense, that we make, we are turning them over to the Lord, saying, Lord, you know best. You're the Lord. You decide. You know more than me. And so he says, I asked the Lord three times about this, that it would depart from me, that it would be removed, that it would be withdrawn. And again, we're no different. I want to ask you tonight, every one of us, is there something right now in your life, it might not be a thorn in the flesh, it might not be something physical, but there is something right in front of you, there is something in your way, there's an obstacle There's a challenge, there's a circumstance, there is something just standing right in front of you. There's a giant, however you want to picture it. And maybe you've, like Paul, said, Lord, please remove this. Let me go around it or just take it away. What I want you and and me to see tonight, all of us to see tonight, is this. Most of the time, Though God could easily take it away. Most of the time, God will choose not to take these things away that stand in front of us. He's going to deal with us the same way he dealt with Paul. And that is to show us, as he did Paul, that if you will allow me to work in your life, you and I can overcome and conquer this. And what that will then do is build faith and confidence and trust that everything that comes your way, anything that life brings, anything that Satan throws at you, anything the world throws at you, anything that anyone throws at you, that stands in your way, that is an obstacle, whatever it is, you know you can overcome it because I can overcome it. That's what he wants to teach us. It doesn't hurt. I don't think it's wrong to pray for it to be removed. When people come to me and say, Jeff, I don't know how, would it be okay to pray for this? I say, absolutely, but let God have the final say. Because just like with Paul, God may come back and might be very clear and say, I know you've asked for this, but I know better. And it would be better for you to learn to overcome it than for me to just remove it. It's going to grow you more. It's going to benefit and bless you more. And in turn, then you're going to be able to benefit and bless others more by learning to overcome. And in fact, you're going to be able to share a testimony with others that God helped me to conquer this. 
God helped me to overcome it. That my God isn't just a God who removes things. My God is a God who enables us and empowers us as his followers to overcome, to rise above the circumstances of life. That's what the Christian life is all about. That's why God wants his people to be strong. That's why Jesus promised his followers in the book of Revelation to the one who overcomes, to the one who conquers. This is what I will give you. Because he wants us to learn to be strong in him and to learn to overcome and conquer things through him what is it that God wants you to overcome tonight not to have him remove not to have him take away what does he want you to charge right through and be able to say I got victory over that I conquered that I overcame that through the power of Jesus Christ. So he said to me, verse 9, my grace, my supernatural enablement and empowerment is enough. Wow. It means sufficient. It means possessing an unfailing strength. Did you get that? You and I, if we receive God's grace, we possess an unfailing strength. See, if we really believe that God's grace is enough, then that means there's nothing that life is going to bring our way, that Satan's going to throw at us, that the world's going to throw at us, that's bigger than God's grace. If God says to Paul and to us, my grace is enough, That means it's enough. That means that God's grace will enable us to deal with whatever life brings. No matter what it is. And to learn to overcome it. For God goes on to say, for my power, my strength, my ability, my resources is made perfect in your Human weakness. In other words, God is saying, all of my strength, my ability, my resources begin to be unleashed in a life when that life acknowledges their limitations, their frailty, their fragileness, their weakness, and we turn to God and say, God, I cannot, I do not want to do this on my own, but I know that with you, there's nothing I can't do. That's when God's power is unleashed. God resists the proud, James says, but gives grace to the humble. So here again, in our lives as Christians, we have a choice. When we are faced with a challenge, an obstacle, a thorn, something in our life, and it's right in front of us. And maybe we've asked God to remove it, and he's not going to remove it, or he hasn't removed it. Then the next choice we have is, do I try to face this giant down in my own power and strength? Or do I turn to the Lord and say, God, I got nothing. It's you. It's got to be you. And many Christians try to overcome and conquer things on their own. And that's why they end up getting so frustrated and, and, and 
end in futility and desperation and discouragement because it's just like beating our heads against the wall. We can't overcome and conquer anything apart from Christ and His grace. And so God is just trying to teach us in a very gentle yet firm way, my child. You know, it's almost like a parent looking at a child going, if you just let me help you with that, it could go a lot easier. But we're like that stubborn child sometimes. Like, nope, I do it myself. Father, daddy. I do it myself. And we keep running into the wall. It's only when we let go and let God will God's grace be unleashed in our life. And Paul realized this, see? That's why he said, my grace is enough for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So then, Paul says, I'm going to boast most gladly about my weaknesses. Paul's like, you, I'm weak. Because Paul understood that if I just daily acknowledge my weakness and my inability and lacking and need and I turn to God, then there's nothing that's going to come at me throughout the day that God and me can't handle together because it's going to be His grace that's going to do it. And I'm going to learn to overpower and conquer. And I'm going to see victory after victory after victory in my life rather than defeat after defeat after defeat. The reason why we suffer defeat as Christians is because we're either stubbornly wanting God to continue to remove what He's not going to remove... Or secondly, we're trying to overcome and conquer whatever it is in front of us in our own power and our own strength. I mean, what Paul's sharing with us tonight is not Christian rocket science. This isn't some deep theological... It's pretty simple, and yet, as we know... Pride, human pride is such a rascally animal. And it, and, it, and it keeps us from enjoying the benefits of living by God's grace every moment of our lives. And, and it's why God goes to such a great extent to try to prevent pride from getting a hold into our lives. Because He knows the spiritual damage that it will do if it gets rooted into our life. So Paul says, I will boast most gladly about my weaknesses so that the supernatural power of Christ, notice this, verse 9, may reside in me. The word means fixed. To abide, to dwell. In other words, Paul's saying, like I just talked about, that we can get to a point as a Christian that instead of living the roller coaster Christian life where I'm real up one day and real down the next because one day I'm living in God's power and by His grace and the next day I'm trying to live life on my own and it's up and down, up and down. Paul says, I'm learning to be more consistent. I'm learning to, in a sense, let God's power rest in me to be fixed, to be settled, so that I'm living life consistently every day in His power rather than taking the reins of my life back and saying, no, God, I got this one. And that's sort of the goal, I think, for all of us as Christians. What Paul said. 
to allow the power of Christ to reside in us. So that it's not one day, God, I'm turning this over to you and I'm letting you handle it and let's go. And then the next day, no, God, I'm taking it back and I'm, I'm going to try to do this. Let God's power be fixed. And then verse 10. He says, therefore, I am content with weaknesses. Wow. Paul, in a sense, is saying here, I've learned to accept and embrace for my own good my human limitations. I'm I'm realizing I was just beating my head against the wall as a Christian when I tried to live life in my own power and strength and by my own wit and wisdom instead of just being dependent on God and living in Him every day. I'm in Christ. Why not just allow Christ to just take over and carry me through rather than me trying to do it on my own? And then, of course, he says, obviously with weakness comes insults, verbal injury, troubles, means being pressured, persecutions, being hunted down, and difficulties. Everything closing in around him for the sake of Christ. For the benefit and the advancement of Jesus Christ. Paul went through all this. But Paul was okay with that because Paul said, I'm learning that no matter what the enemy throws at me, no matter what the opposition of Christ and those hostile to the cause of Christ throw at me, I'm greater through Christ than anything. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I know that with Christ, there is nothing that can come against me that's greater than Jesus. Nothing. So that's why Paul ends this great passage with this phrase. For whenever I am weak, whenever I am without strength, whenever I personally am powerless then I'm strong. And the word strong here obviously means to be able, to be powerful, to be mighty. But in the Greek language, it also means to overcome, to conquer. And so Paul is saying, I've learned something through this experience of this great revelation and being caught up to the third heaven and experiencing this great encounter, unbelievable, and yet knowing that that. It was probably going to make me prideful, and so I get this thorn in the flesh. But ultimately, what I learned through all this, I learned to overcome. I learned that whether it was a thorn in my flesh, whether it was an enemy hostile to Christ, whether it was an obstacle in my way, whatever it was, I learned that I could overcome by acknowledging my weakness and depending on God's strength that I could overcome. Which again brings us full circle back to where I began tonight. Where Jesus said to every church in Revelation, to the one who overcomes, this is your reward. To the one who learns to conquer. This is your reward. You see, God is going to give special rewards to those 
who learn, like Paul, to instead of just throwing up our hands in defeat and letting things beat us and letting things get the better of us, to learn through God's grace and power to conquer them, to overcome them, to rise above them, and to learn the power that we have as Christians through Christ. And, and so it, it, it enables us to be able to handle anything that life brings, and it also enables us to be great servants and ministers of Jesus, because then we can go out and we can tell others about this overcoming power that we can have through Christ, that no matter what life does to us, no matter what life brings, we can overcome. Which again is why John says, this is the overcoming power that conquers the world. Our faith. Because we've got to believe and trust that God knows best. And that God can be trusted and relied upon. And that He's dependable and faithful. We've got to believe that. And if we do, nothing can stand in our way. Nothing. Whether it's a giant like Goliath, whether it's the giants in the land for the nation of Israel when the spies came back and said, oh, we can't, we can't overcome them. There's giants in the land. And it was like Joshua and Caleb said, where's your faith? Are they bigger than God? We've got God. We can overcome anything. We can conquer anything. It reminds us Too often, we focus on the problem rather than on God. We focus on the thorn in the flesh. We focus on the giants. We focus on the circumstance. We focus on the obstacle, the challenge, rather than focusing on God. And God is saying, get your eyes off the obstacle and the challenge and the giant and the thorn and all that because it's nothing compared to me. Just trust me and you will overcome. I'll leave you again with this verse. And if you haven't committed this verse to memory or meditated on this, go home and look it up and read it before you go to bed tonight. It's John 16, 33. Jesus says, These things I have told you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble and suffering, but take courage. I have overcome. I have conquered the world. No wonder Paul said to the Romans, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I hope tonight that you leave here believing that you as a child of God, can overcome and conquer anything in your life. Whatever it is. And right now, for each of us, there may be just something right there in front of us. I don't know what it is. You know, God knows. Maybe it's a thorn in the flesh. Maybe it's some challenge or difficulty or family situation or obstacle in your life or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what it is. 
But we all know who God is. And we all know how big God is. And God is telling all of us tonight, my grace is enough. My grace is enough. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this great passage of Scripture that reminds us, Lord, you want us to learn to be overcomers. You want us to learn to be conquerors. Instead of getting swallowed up and discouraged by life and what life throws at us, you want us to learn to rise above it through you. So God, I pray tonight that instead of us being defeated, instead of us feeling defeated, that you might turn us tonight. That you might bring some hope into some people's lives here tonight. and That they might begin once again to see that with you all things are possible. And that though the circumstance might not change, just like it did with Paul, I don't believe he ever got rid of the thorn in the flesh. That he lived the rest of his life with that thorn. That God's grace was enough. That he was able to overcome that thorn. That he was able to conquer that thorn because of the grace that you supplied to him every day. And God, you can do that for us too. And so I pray tonight that God, we would lean on you more than ever. That instead of us, Lord, tackling life in our own strength, which is nothing, in our own power, in our own wisdom, which is nothing, that we would get rid of our pride, that we would see how destructive pride is in our life, how it keeps us from really enjoying the abundant life and being able to see victory in our life. God, we would just learn to depend upon you every day and realize we need you every hour. Every hour, God, we need you. And begin to see your power unleashed in our lives so that we can see victory. God, encourage us. Help us remind us of these truths. And Lord, maybe there's someone even that you've brought to our mind that they would be encouraged by hearing this message. Maybe there's somebody tonight, Lord, that we can go home and we can say, hey, I'd like you to listen to this podcast when it gets up. I, I, think, I think you'd be encouraged by that. Maybe, maybe there's somebody we could even minister to tonight. Or maybe you would just want to share the truth that God has shared with you tonight and you just want to sit down and have a conversation with somebody and give them hope and encourage them because of something that they're facing in their life. Lord, don't let this message and these truths just stop with us. But may we pass them on and share them with others who will benefit as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you on Sunday.